brought your Bibles, and I hope that you have. Turn with me to, into the book of Psalms, to the 51st Psalm. I want to begin there this morning. Psalm 51, the first verse begins and says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Verse 2. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sins. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the, <clears throat> excuse me, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou thy lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good and thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offering. Then shall thy offer, <clears throat> then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you this morning one more time, just thanking you for the good day and for the many blessings. Thanking you, Lord, for the opportunity you've given us to gather here uh, in your house one more time. We thank you, Lord, for the nation that we live in, the freedom that we have to openly gather here so many, and worship you. So many people throughout the world don't have the same freedom that we have. Lord, and I pray that we would always be thankful and we'd give you praise and glory. And Lord, we thank you for each one who has fought and sacrificed and bled and died so that we'd have this freedom. But we know ultimately it's a gift from you. Lord, I pray here this morning. Lord, you know our hearts and you know the needs of each one that is here. There's nothing that is hidden from you. No surprises to you here this morning. And so God, we just humbly come before you. Asking you to have your way and your will in, our ser in this service, in our midst. Asking you to show up in a mighty way and do what only you can do. Oh God, 
if there's anything in our heart, anything in our minds, anything in our life, anything that we're dwelling on, anything that we're doing, anything that we're living in, that doesn't please you and doesn't bring glory to you, if there be any sin, oh God, bring it to our attention. Convict us. Pour out that old time Holy Ghost conviction upon us and don't give us any peace till we repent and get things right with you. Because that's the most important thing. Our walk with you. Everything else pales in comparison. Oh God, have your way. Have your way in my heart. Have your way in our heart. Have your way in this service here this morning. Lord, let me ask one more thing of you this morning. Maybe two. Help me to be the preacher that you've called me to be. Clear my mind of everything but your message, your thoughts, your words. Place on my tongue the very things that you'd have me to say this morning and loose it, Lord, so that I might be able to preach it with you. Only the freedom that you can give. And Lord, my prayer is that everyone would leave here this morning knowing that they've heard from you. Lord, knowing that it has come from you through my spirit to theirs as one dying man to another. And God, I pray if there's any here that don't know you, Lord, let today be the day. Let today be the day that they get things right with you. Let today be the day that they come to you. Let today be the day that the prodigal returns. Oh God, have your way. We love you. We worship you. We praise your holy name. We ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. This psalm, Psalm 51, may be, I, I wouldn't say the most famous of the psalms. Probably Psalm 23 is the most famous. But it is definitely a very well-known psalm. Uh, and, and one of the reasons that it's so well-known is that it expresses probably one of the clearest examples of repentance in all of the scripture, right? Uh, as a matter of fact, there are seven psalms in the book of Psalms that is, I never can say this word right, it, it, it's called uh, penitential or something like that, psalms. In other words, they're psalms of repentance. Uh, and so anyways, uh, uh, in the heading in our psalm, uh, explains that. Your, your Bible has probably got a little, uh, I think they're called superscription, right above the first verse, right, where it talks about to the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone uh, into Bathsheba. Uh, now, we include that in all of our Bibles, but we do it as a superscription there above the Bible. If you were to read it in the Hebrew, uh, I think I told you this a few weeks ago, uh, the number of verses is different. As a matter of fact, this psalm, instead of having 19 verses, has 21 verses. And the reason is, is because they count that superscription as the first two verses in the psalm. And so it's definitely should be there, and it definitely informs us, uh, uh, gives us a little background of this psalm, and we definitely need to take it seriously. And so anyways, it, it is... Uh, uh, it is a psalm that is written by David after the prophet Nathan has boldly come to him and exposed him for committing adultery with Bathsheba and then for murdering her husband Uriah, right? I mean, you remember that. I think I talked about it not too long ago. I won't go into all of it again. But remember, right, with 2 Samuel chapter 11, the first verse, we see there that when David should have been out in the field with his soldiers leading his army in Bathsheba, 
idol as all the other kings did, David decided to stay at the house. Uh, and when, that, just, that was the, the first thing that he'd done wrong. That was the first sin. He, God had called him to do something and anointed him, ordained him, king of Israel. He had a specific job and duties to do it. And he was, he was not doing what God had called him to do. And then it's just a downward slide from there. It's trouble from there, right? It tells us that he's, uh, uh, he's had him a nap and lazing around the, uh, the house and in the cool of the day or in the afternoon he's up on the roof and he looks over and what does he see? He sees this beautiful woman, Bathsheba, right? Uh, he sees her bathing and so anyway he he lusts after her he desires to have her right uh, this is one of his top soldiers one of his mightiest warriors Uriah this is Uriah's wife don't tell me David didn't know who that was once uh, once he was told at least by the time he was told who she that she was uh, Bathsheba the wife of Uriah he knows who that is and he goes ahead and he sleeps with her commits adultery with her she ends up pregnant and David tries his best to cover up the sin. David is also a man that is regarded in the scriptures as a man after God's own heart. On one hand, he's an adulterer and he's a murderer. I don't really see how you get much worse than that. Sleep with another man's wife, a man who's out, a better man than you, who's out doing probably what you ought to be doing. He's out there fighting with the soldiers for the for the country you're supposed to be leading. He sleeps with her with with that man's wife, and then in order to cover it up, he has that man murdered, has him killed. And yet here David is a man, the Bible says is a man after God's own heart. Well, it sure wasn't because he was sinless. That's for sure. But I think this psalm illustrates why he's referred to as a man after God's own heart. Because of his willingness to acknowledge his sin and own it. When Nathan the prophet comes to him and tells him his little story about the rich man and, 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 and taking the poor man's sheep and killing it and all that... Right? Uh, how? What is David's reaction to that? Because after he tells the story and David is mad, David thinks, well, it is a true story, but David thinks that literally happened, not that it's a parable or an example or an illustration. And David's mad, and he's ready for justice, for retribution, right? He's ready to drop the hammer on this guy that done this. And Nathan, the prophet Nathan says, you are the man. It is you. And what's David's reaction? David doesn't deny it. David doesn't justify it. When David's confronted with it, when he's convicted of it, that's a picture of the Holy Spirit coming to you and convicting you of your sins. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do with it when it happens? Well, the reason David, God calls him a man after his own heart is not because David was sinless. David was a man and a sinner just like every one of us. But David's willingness to acknowledge his sin, to own it, to repent, right? And we see him approach God here broken. I mean, literally with a broken and contrite heart. 
I mean, this is true, authentic repentance. That's what we see here. As we look at this psalm, uh, you could probably break it down into three sections or outline it in three sections. Preachers, Devin, Jimmy, listen up. Now this would preach. You, you, could, you could preach this thing as, 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 as your first point, cleanse me. Your second point, restore me. And your third point, use me. That's what he's saying here. The first seven verses, he's saying, cleanse me. I mean, David knew the truth of God's word and he loved it. Go back and read Psalm 19. You can see that. But he had deliberately lied to himself. Right? In other words, he he said to himself, I can get away with this. I can do this. I can pull this off. I can have this. I can get away with this. And he so he lies uh, to himself. He lies to his people that he's supposed to be leading. Right? And he tried to lie to God. For nearly... Now, we miss this sometimes on the whole thing because it just happens so fast in the Scripture. But for nearly a year... He's telling himself this lie. He's telling the people this lie. And he's trying to tell God this lie. For nearly a year he tries to cover up his sins. But listen to me. You ain't going to sin and get away with it. I ain't going to sin and get away with it. God ain't going to sin. Or I mean, David ain't going to sin and get away with it. God does not allow his children to sin and get away with it. Now, at this point, when David is confronted, David asks God to forgive him, to cleanse him. So that would be your first point, first seven verses, cleanse me. The second point would be restore me, verses 8 through 12, right? I mean, the cost of committing sin is high. That's what David's talking about in those verses, right? That's what he's lamenting about. That's what he's carrying on about. David knew this. So that's why he's asking for more than just cleansing. As important as that is, he's asking for more than that. He wanted his entire being to be restored. He wanted to be restored to fellowship with God. He wanted to be restored so he could serve the Lord again, right? He wanted to experience the joy of the Lord again. That's why... David asked the Lord to create a new heart within him. Because David was incapable of changing his own heart. Only God can perform that miracle. That's what happened to this old boy here. And if you're going to be honest, if God's put a new heart in you, if you've got a new heart, if you've been uh, born again by the Spirit of God, right? In other words, I'm saying if you're truly saved and on your way to heaven, God's the one that performed that miracle. That wasn't just, you didn't just read some self-help books and you didn't just self-will yourself to give up all your sin and your carousing and everything else. I sure didn't. Only God can do that. Only He can change your want-tos. So he's saying, restore me, cleanse me, restore me. And then in the last few verses, verses 13 through 19, he's saying, use me. David was God's servant. He'd been his servant since he was a boy. And he wanted to regain his ministry, his work for the Lord. He wanted to lead the people again uh, as a godly leader. 
He wanted to witness to the lost again. He wanted to bring lost people to the Lord. He wanted to sing the Lord's praises once again. That's why he's saying, Oh Lord, cleanse me, restore me, use me once again. Now, there is definitely a connection between sacrifices and repentance. I don't know if you caught that, but he, he, he talks about that in verse, uh, what is that, verse 16, for thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Right? David is saying, look, if it was just as simple as me uh, killing some goat or some bull and uh, take care of all this, then I would do it. I'd do it a thousand times over. But the rest of verse 16 says, thou delight, delightest not and burn offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, will thou, uh, thou will not despise. That ought to make you think a little bit about Cain and Abel. There's definitely, what I'm trying to say is we learn from this psalm, there is definitely a connection between sacrifices and repentance. But listen to me, the sacrifice is of no effect. In other words, it is no good if there is no true, authentic repentance. That's what David's saying. He can offer sacrifices all day long for the rest of his life, but yet if he did not have that broken and contrite heart, if he wasn't truly, authentically repenting, all them sacrifices wouldn't do a bit of good, right? So the, so the idea of offering God Praise and worship is nonsense when your relationship with God is broken. It's like your wife catching you cheating on her and you think that you just give her, bring her home some flowers and everything would be all right. What's crazy is nonsense, ain't it? I know it would be with my wife. It's the same kind of nonsense that you think you can come before God still in your sin, living in your sin, deep in your sin, loving your sin, and think you can come and, and, and praise Him and worship Him and He'll accept it. Buddy, you better come before Him with a broken and contrite heart because that's the only sacrifice He's looking for right now. All you can do when you've committed look, I'm, I'm, we're talking serious sin here this morning when, when, when you find yourself in that situation all you can do is cast yourself on God's grace as someone who is crushed and broken the animal sacrifices of, of David's day nor even the ultimate sacrifice of God's only begotten Son. Now, this may, uh, this may cause you to, to pause for a minute or step back, or, or and that's fine. Think about what I'm saying here this morning. I mean it. Because the, the, just like the sacrifices and the animal sacrifices in, in David's day, neither the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, right? None of those does the sinner any good except they first approach God 
with a broken spirit, with that broken and contrite heart that David spoke of here. And when we think about it, now there's another element to sin here that we've got to talk about. Now, as I go through this, I want you to keep something in mind. There ain't nothing you can do about the sins that's behind you except repent, ask forgiveness, go to God with that broken and contrite heart, right? And, and truly, authentically, in other words, really sorry for your sins. Not just sorry that you got caught, sorry that you ever done it, and, and God, with your help, I ain't ever going to do it again. That's what I mean by repentance. All you can do about the ones that are behind you is to ask for forgiveness. And that's both from God, and, and if you've done somebody wrong, if you've hurt somebody or whatever, all you can do is go to them truly sorry. That's what I'm trying to say. And ask for their forgiveness. That's all you can do. Now I'll guarantee if you go that way to God, God will forgive you. I can't guarantee that with somebody, but that's all that, you know, with a person, but that's all you can do. That's all you can do about the sins that are behind you. You hear me? So many times we let the devil hold us down and hold us back because he holds the sins of yesterday over our heads. Now, if you ain't repented of them, that might be the Holy Spirit convicting you, and you better repent. But beyond that, don't let the devil hold them over your head because ain't nothing else can be done about it. But you can do something about the sins of tomorrow. You can do something about the ones that you ain't committed yet. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can't do nothing about what's behind you, but you can do everything about what's in front of you. But you've got to know the truth and there's got to be some things. Listen to me, every one of us. They ain't none of us is perfect. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And just to be honest with you, uh, if we had a real candid, candid uh, visit, you'd probably be appalled at some of the things that I've done uh, in the past and I'd probably be appalled at some of the things that you did. We all got that behind us. Praise God, mine's under the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Wash, clean, glory to God. Can you say the same thing? I hope you can. But you've you got to know this. You've got to understand this. And we all got to live with this. There are consequences to sin. Period. There's consequences. You know, one of the lies, I can remember, uh, and this is sad, I can remember uh, my folks even telling me this whenever I was a little kid, right? And I've heard this lie told over and over and over. And, and look, when I say my folks, they weren't intentionally lying to me. They didn't know any better either. They'd believe the devil's lie. But this lie that's been told over and over and over, well, I ain't hurting nobody but myself. <laughs> Baloney. If you believe that, you are deceived and you, uh, you've allowed yourself to be deceived because you know better than that. You absolutely... Uh, look, our sins, it, it is like, uh, it's like ripples in a pond. Do you understand what I'm saying? It absolutely affects everyone around us and people that we don't even know. Uh, listen to me. My father has passed away, but yet his mistakes and his sins... Generations that's not even been born yet are affected by them. Let alone me and my children and many others, right? 
and my sins are the same and your sins are the same. There is consequences of sin. I'll never forget a service, and I wasn't preaching, I wasn't even, I don't think I was even pastoring yet. On a Wednesday night over here at Almost Home, when Almost Home was still open, and there was a young man that come in there, and, and he come in, and I believe that he was authentic that night as far as in his repentance and asking God to forgive him. And It's a long story, and I won't get into all of it, uh, but I mean, there's... I didn't doubt then, and I still don't doubt that that night at the altar that he got saved, right? I mean, he was, he was really broken. Sat down there on the front pew, and there was a couple of us, but I ended up talking to him for a long time, and was talking to him, just trying to help him and encourage him a little bit. Let him know those people that cared about him, he called on us any time. Well, I come to find out that he had a court date coming up in a few days. And he was pretty sure that he was going to prison. I mean, he didn't know that 100% for sure, but that was how it looked. He was pretty confident it was. He also thought that by getting things right with God, and if God truly forgive him, that somehow he wouldn't have to go to prison. Uh, I told him over and over. There's consequences. And those consequences have still got to be paid. I mean, I've used this example before. Maybe it ain't the best one. If you think of a better one, you can tell me later, and I'll use it in the future. The nation of Israel wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. The Bible says they didn't believe God. They died out there. Now, do you think, this, do you think that they all went to hell? I don't. Some of them probably did. But I don't think all of them did. I think they, some of them truly repented. There's still consequences to their sins. There's still consequences yours and mine. There's consequences to David's. Let's talk about that for just a minute. David sinned and sinned bad. David truly repented, truly broken, and truly repented when he was convicted over it. And David was really forgiven. No question, no doubt about that. Do you know that one of the titles of Jesus is Son of David? He's going, to wrong, he's going to reign on the throne of David, does reign on the throne of David. David is definitely, God forgiving, but there still was consequences to his sins and his actions. The results of David's sin, I mean, see the thing is, the sad thing of this whole story is, or of David's story, is as a father and as a king... Everything unraveled from the time that, uh, that he committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband killed from that affair forwards. Everything unraveled. I mean, just look for a minute at the results of the fruit might be a good word of David's sin. First of all, the baby she is pregnant with died. If you go and read the story, God makes it clear that the baby is going to die. The baby, right, that was conceived by David and Bathsheba. Think about this for a minute. David and Bathsheba didn't die. The child, the innocent child, the innocent died for the guilty, right? The baby died, right? Then David's own son, Amon, right? Actually, his oldest son. He rapes Tamar, uh, which is his sister, right? David's daughter. So David has, had, David has a daughter raped by his son, right? And then another one of David's sons, Absalom, right? He's David's third oldest son. Uh, he, uh, uh, he murders 
Amon, his brother, uh, for raping his sister, okay? And then, after that, Absalom, later on, on down the road a ways, leads a rebellion against David, his dad, and tries to kill his dad, right? And then Joab, who is, the, who is David's top general, the leader of his military, uh, and is also David's nephew, uh, David specifically instructs him, whenever they're putting down the rebellion, not to kill Absalom, to spare his life, right? But Joab kills him anyways against David's wishes. And then Adonijah, right, David's fourth oldest son, tries to make himself king when David's old and he has got to the point that his health is not good and he's kind of bedridden, right? His fourth oldest son uh, tries to make himself king while David is still alive. And he gets Joab's help whenever he does that. And then Solomon, David's tenth son, tenth oldest son, kills uh, both Adonijah and Joab. What I'm trying to say is David's life is never the same from this point forward. So apparently it is possible to put away sin, as, as the scripture calls it. In other words, for, to receive forgiveness. Yet God, yet also God not intervene to stop the consequences of what our sinful actions have started or did. Our, in other words, our violation of God's word, his commandments, still have consequences. Even after true repentance and forgiveness. I know that ain't popular, but it's true. There is still consequences to our actions. As the scripture puts it, the sins of the parents are visited upon the children. As a matter of fact, if you go through in, uh, what is that, Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, right there in the middle of the Ten Commandments, it says to the third and fourth generation. So let me talk to you for just a minute about what sin will do. Now remember, you can't do nothing about what's behind you except to repent and ask for forgiveness. But you can do something about what's ahead of you. So please, please, keep this in mind just exactly as the temptation comes, just exactly what it is that your sin will do. First thing it'll do is it'll separate you from God. That's what he gets at here in verse 11 where he says, Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 59, the first two verses said, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. So think about what the prophet is saying, what Isaiah is saying. He's saying God's not got hard of hearing yet. In his hand, he's not too weak, not too feeble. His hand or his arm is not so short that he cannot reach down and touch you in your sin and your iniquity and your transgressions. But then the rest of the, or verse 2 goes on and says, But your iniquities, right, your sins, have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you. I've used the example over and over. Sin is just like a wedge, right? It is a wedge driven between you and God. And if you leave it there and that wedge keeps getting driven down there, right? As long as you have sin in your life, you cannot draw close to God. You cannot enter into his presence. You cannot have fellowship with God. And if you leave it there, it will completely sever you 
from God. That means an eternity in hell. I said Wednesday night, it, it amazes me. I never thought about things this way and sure didn't plan it this way. Uh, but God must have because I preached about sin last week too. And then Wednesday night, I, I got off on a thing having to do with, with, with salvation, faith, and sin. And here we are again this morning. And it just kind of rolls right on, kind of continues right on. But let me, let me make it clear. Let me restate what I said Wednesday, or part of what I said Wednesday night, to make it clear. A mistake that I made for a long time, and I think so many Christians make, is they think the basis of our salvation is our ability to not sin. I believed that for a long time, and I was nothing but a Pharisee. I was nothing but a legalist. I completely discounted the grace of God and, and was hung up on my own ability, my own righteousness, my, that, in other words, my own ability to do good and right. God says this is a filthy rag before me. You see, the basis of our salvation is not sin, it's faith. Whether or not our faith is in Jesus Christ, right? It's His grace, our faith. Do we place our faith in Jesus Christ to save us from our sins, to cleanse us from our sins and all unrighteousness, right? To save us from the wrath to come. Do we put our faith in Jesus? Now, here's the thing, because somebody asked me that night, raised their hand and asked me Wednesday night and said, so are you saying there's no correlation between sin and salvation? And oh, no, 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 that's not right at all. What I'm saying is, is sin is a symptom. Sin is the result of unbelief. It's the result of a lack of faith. That's why Paul talks about in Romans chapter 6, he says, uh, shall we go on the, the, you know, in, in sin? Uh, in, in God forbid that we would do that. Sin is a wedge between you and God. It's the result of a lack of faith. That's where it comes from. A lack of trusting in God. Whatever that may be. Maybe that's to get by past the temptation. Maybe that's to take care of you and whatever it is. Maybe that's the strength to, to you know, whatever the case may be. It's a turning to the world instead of a turning to God. But that wedge will separate you from God. If you don't get it out of it. How do you get that wedge out of there? You repent. You turn away from it. You forsake it. So what does your, what does your, what does your sin do? It will separate you from God. The other thing that was in that verse that I mentioned. Is it stops God from hearing your prayers. Now people have a lot of trouble with that. And that's alright. But that's what the Bible says. First of all. Uh, Isaiah said, I quoted to you what Isaiah said. Isaiah said that God's not so, got so hard hearing that he can't hear you, but he says that your sins, right? Your iniquities have separated you, come between you and God. Your sins has hid God's face from you that he will not hear you. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. In other words, if I'm sitting on iniquity, sin, if I'm harboring it, right? If I'm dwelling on it, if I'm, well, you know, living in it, God's not going to hear me. John 9.31, you want something from the New Testament? John 9.31 says, Now we know that God heareth not sinners. But if any man's a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. God hears him. 
Listen to me. Sin in our lives stops God from hearing your prayers. Period. Period. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. The question I think that troubles people the most is, well, what about in the case of salvation? Well, I'll tell you what, in the case of salvation, you better have a broken and contrite heart. Repentance has better be what's happening first. Do you not think that God sees the heart? That's actually what happens first. That's actually what opens the way. That's actually how you, how you get into the presence of God. That's how he hears what we refer to as the sinner's prayer. Is repentance has got to happen first. That thing in the heart has got to be going on first. Right? The Holy Spirit deals with you. He convicts you. But what are you going to do about it? If you do nothing about it, you become hardened. You can either do nothing or you can turn away from sin and turn towards God. That's repentance. How sad. How sad would it be I've thought this so many times. That at, you, you know, forget yourself, right? Remember the lie, you ain't hurting nobody but yourself. How sad would it be you believe that lie, you ain't hurting nobody but yourself. And then at the moment of your child's or your grandchild's or whoever it is, maybe it's a spouse, a loved one, whatever, at the moment of their greatest need. Do you know how many times I've heard people I heard John Edwards famously say it during the presidential debate in 2004 that he didn't believe in God because when his son was sick and dying, he prayed, and his prayer didn't get nowhere. Huh. Turns out he wasn't living for God, didn't it? Listen to me. How sad would it be to find yourself in that moment and someone you care about, you love more than life yourself, willing you would give your own life for theirs. But it's beyond your ability. There's nothing you can do. The only one that can do something is God. And as you are ready to, to, to plead with God, bargain with God, make a deal with God, all those things that we do. God can't even hear you. Doesn't hear you. Not can't's not the right word. Doesn't hear you. Because of your sin. You know what that means? That means that that person you think you love so much, turns out you love your sin more than you love them. You can speak the words. I've known many that have. But they'll never get any farther than the sound of your voice less things in here are right with God. If you want God to hear you, you are going to have to repent. Right? Repentance, that change of heart, it causes you to think differently about things. A turning away from the world and sin and a turning to God. Right? That's what it does. It causes you to change your mind about sin, about God, and about yourself. It causes you to change your mind about what is right and what is wrong. It causes you to change your mind about who gets to decide what is right and what is wrong. When you repent, you turn away from sin and disobedience and rebellion and you turn to God. And let me tell you something this morning. There is is no salvation without repentance. You know what else it does? It stops God from blessing you. Sin does. It stops God from blessing you. 
Jeremiah tells the people in Jeremiah 5.25, your iniquities have turned away these things and your sins have withholden good things from you. God cannot, will not, and does not bless sin. Therefore, he doesn't bless those that live in sin, those that hold sin in their hearts, those who are unrepentant. You know what else sin does? It causes God to discipline you. That's why it says in Hebrews 12, 6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and uh, scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. God will not just wink at sin and look the other way. He will not ignore sin. Every one of us one day will stand before God in the day of judgment without excuse. You know what else sin will do? It'll steal your joy. I talked about that, I think, a while ago. David says in verse 12, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold with me uh, with thy free spirit. There is no true joy when God is dealing with you about sin in your life. You'll be miserable. You'll be the most miserable person there is, right? Because you can't get away from it. It makes you miserable. And it makes you miserable to be around. And most people I know that is deep in sin and know it, and God's been dealing with them and are there, they do something, right, to try to drown their misery, right? Whether it's drink, whether it's drink or drugs or, 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 you know, whatever. It steals your joy. You know what else it does? It'll kill your testimony. That's right, Christian. It'll kill your testimony. Your testimony is, a, is your personal witness that you have of Jesus, right? It's your personal experience with Jesus. It speaks of God's glory in your life, what God has done for you. It's a way that we can share with others about our salvation and our faith in Jesus Christ, right? Your testimony is what God, in other words, is what God has directly done in your life. And you know what sin does? Sin in a Christian's life kills their credibility. Think about it. Just in the last few years, the preachers that we know of that's run off with other women and things like that. Look, they can repent. They can make things right at home with their spouse, with their wife. Uh, they can get forgiveness from God. And they can try to come back and, and, and fulfill their calling. But listen to me. What does it do to their testimony, to their credibility? It makes, makes people a whole lot less likely to listen to them and a whole lot more likely to point at them and call them hypocrite when they try to talk to them about God. And one last thing, and I'm done. Sin will destroy your family. Look at what happened to David and his situation. God speaks through the prophet to David uh, in 2 Samuel 12, 14, when he says, Howbeit, because of this deed, he's talking about the sin that David committed, thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. I mentioned earlier, it wasn't David and Bathsheba that died, it was the baby that died. Jesus tells us in John 10, 10, the thief, that's Satan, right? He cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. As has been said so many times, 
Sin will take you farther than you want to go, than you ever intended on going. It will keep you longer than what you ever planned on staying. And it will cost you more than what you want to pay. That's what sin will do. But praise be to God. 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, can I pause there a minute? Confess our sins. I'm not talking about confess your sins to some man. I'm not talking about going to some priest in a confessional booth and confessing your sins to him. What good does that do? I'm not talking about coming to the pastor and telling me every awful thing that you've ever done. Uh, you don't want to do that, and I don't really want to hear it. And it ain't going to do neither one of us any good, probably. If we confess our sins to God, it's talking about repentance. If we come to God and we confess and admit, right, that we're wrong and he's right all along. The Bible goes on and says that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I told you in the beginning, there ain't a thing in the world you can do but ask for forgiveness for the ones that are behind you. But you can do everything in the world about the ones that are ahead of you. You can't change yesterday, but you sure can tomorrow. But you can't do it on your own. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So I beg you this morning, if you ain't right with God, now's the time to get right. And listen to me, don't you leave here this morning thinking you can live right and you can live for God on your own because you can't do it. You'll fall on your face. The odds are you'll fall before the day is over, uh, definitely before the week is over or before long. You will fall if you try to do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. The only way you can do it is by the power of God, by trusting Him, by putting your faith in Him, by leaning on Him, right? By being led by the Holy Spirit of God. That is the only way. Will you stand to your feet? I want to open the altar and I want to give you an invitation to come this morning. Uh, listen, if you ain't got the Holy Spirit of God, you can come get Him, right? That happens at salvation. Hey, no, that's what I'm saying. If you ain't saved, if you ain't right with God, now's the time to come and get right with Him because you surely can. You can leave here with a clean heart. You can leave here different than how you come in. It don't have to be the same any longer. If the Spirit of God is dealing with you, if He's drawing you, would you come this morning? Whatever the need, whatever the burden here this morning, would you come? Would you come? Maybe there's somebody on your heart. Maybe there's somebody you need to be praying for. Would you come? Whatever it is here this morning, would you come?